This is God's word from Mark 2, 1 through 12. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralytic, carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus, and after digging through it, lowered the mat the paralyzed man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there, thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts, and he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up, take your mat, and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone as they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. Thank you, Forrest. Appreciate that. You probably know that this is uh, Super Bowl Sunday. And so we're going to do a little bit of uh, you know, evaluation as to who you think is going to win. So all those in favor of the Seahawks uh, say aye. I uh, didn't say to clap, but just to <laughs> all those in favor of the Patriots say aye. Mm. All those of you who couldn't care less say aye. aye. Oh, okay. So one thing about Super Bowls uh, is that there's a number of us who will experience a disease at the end of the Super Bowl. It's called... Post-SBD, post-Super Bowl depression. I've experienced that four times in my life. I'm from Minnesota. Yeah, and the Vikings have been there four times, and I've experienced SBD four times. On the other hand, some of us will be very excited about who wins and, uh, and be in celebration which fits in with what's happening in our scripture today. Because if you look at, the, look at the end of verse 12, there's a statement that's in there that's just a knockout. And it basically says the people were amazed and were praising God and were saying to each other, I've never seen anything like this before. Let's take that word amazed for just a moment. Because in the Greek, that word amazed means out of their mind. They were so, so excited by what had happened that they were just simply out of their mind with excitement and joy and praise, thus saying, I've never seen anything like this before. We're going to take this scripture today and break it into four scenes to help us understand and answer the question, why are they so excited that they're out of their minds in excitement? What's going on? All right? Scene number one is in the first two verses. 
And, and it basically, just a short version of that, is that in those days when you, uh, when you got up in the morning, you basically opened your door. And when you opened your door, people were welcome to come in or out. They didn't have to knock, they just came in. If the door was still closed, you're not welcome to knock. The homes were not very big, and so it was probably fairly easy for that home to be just filled up and stuffed with people. And then the word got out that Jesus had come back to Capernaum. Remember in chapter 1, he'd been there, and then he went off, and now he's come back again. And so as the word gets out, the, the home is stuffed, and it's stuffed to the point that people are waiting, trying to sneak in, trying to look in, and the, the door that was open, and there was just no way of getting near to it. All right, that's scene one. Scene two. There's so much in scene two, which is verse three and four, that we want to take some time and, and go through this. Uh, Mark is an interesting writer, and I'm going to refer to his writing ability for a couple times here. But one of the things that's really unique about Mark is he's fast and he writes quick and he, he makes some assumptions that you and I understand some of the things, therefore he doesn't write it. Okay? For example, let's start by looking at this man that's paralyzed. He has three strikes against him that Mark does not tell us. I mean, he tells us one. He's paralyzed. But understanding what it's like to be a paralyzed man in that time frame, you're basically destitute. You're basically a beggar. You are totally, completely dependent upon everybody for your substance, for your sustenance. You basically begged all day. Strike one, but that's, not, that's just strike one. Strike two, you were a sinner. You either had committed a sin, therefore causing you to be paralyzed, or somebody in your past background, in, in the generations before you had sinned. Therefore, you were suffering the judgment of the Lord. That's not the worst. Strike three is that because of the fact that you were paralyzed, because of the fact that you were a sinner, therefore you were ritually out an outcast. You were not part of the faith. You are not welcome to be part of the faith. You are an outcast. You are away from the center. And in fact, if somebody was your friend, they were at risk of being an outcast also. So it's a pretty serious thing there. So it's almost amazing that this man, this paralyzed man, had four friends that actually brought him to Jesus because of the fact that they were at risk. There were some leaders, some religious leaders that were there. And who knows what they would feel like. What, what if Jesus didn't do whatever they were hoping that they would do for this one man? And so they were also at risk. So can you imagine how they must have felt when they come in front of uh, the people and the door is basically stuffed? There's no way for them to get to Jesus with this man, this paralyzed friend of theirs. And I can't blame them wondering what to do next. I can't blame them being a little bit discouraged, perhaps very discouraged. 
people were probably trying to get in, but there was nobody that was going to move out of the way. Remember what they had in the blanket there was this outcast, was this sinner, was this paralyzed man. There's no way they're going to let him get through. And so their only choice was, therefore, to take him in a different route. Uh, I want to express that those of you who are part of the growth group, I thought that there was a really neat uh, couple questions in the growth groups. I encourage you to be a part of that. As an elder, that's part of my area of, uh, of, of caring, especially with Josh. But I, I loved one of these couple of these questions. What motivated the four friends to bring this paralyzed man to, jo- to, to Jesus? Uh, certainly it was for uh, caring for his physical needs. Question five, what does these determination to get to Jesus tell us about their faith and about their relationship with the paralyzed man? There's a lot of questions in there. I would have enjoyed being able to hear all the questions and all the thoughts. So the, the four guys have no other option except to bring him up the steps. Now understand, of course, bringing people up the steps in those days when a house was built, uh, there were steps made to the roof. It was just part of the process. I, I experienced this idea of watching it take, unfold for me about a year ago. I'm, I, I coach my grandson, my youngest grandson in soccer. And he's eight now, he was six, and so it's been uh, three years. How fun is that? And one of, the, one of those meetings, where all the coaches get together before the season begins and go over the same thing that we go over every time, but we're supposed to be there. But one day, one of these times, and there's two, two seasons a year, somebody came in in a wheelchair, and this is meeting at an old house. It's the Nova program that's on Lake Hazel, probably an old farmhouse. There's no elevator to the second floor, and that's where we meet. And so the call came out for people to help him come get to the second floor where the meeting was occurring. And so four guys did that. Two of them went down and lifted him off of the chair and on the back of a third person. And then the three of them sort of kind of carried him up the stairs with the fourth person carrying his wheelchair behind him. And you look at that man's face, the, 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 the paralyzed man, and you, you see a sense of trust. There's nothing else he can do. He can't get up the steps. And so the only thing he can do is put himself in, in the arms of his friends to get him up to the top there. Now that's exactly what was taking place here in, in Mark, is that this man needed to be healed, and so the four men basically took him up to the top of the steps. Now, I want to divert for just a second uh, with an illustration that has meaning here. Okay? You'll, you'll find out later what I mean by this. So my grandson is, uh, I'm his coach, and he knows that I'm doing this for the time with him. I, I coached my son through JV and Meridian High School, so know a little bit about soccer. Uh, this young grandson of mine came up to me one day with this little ball and said, Grand, Pop, Pop, what is this? And that started it all over again. So I've been coaching him for three years. At the end of each season that we have, I always say to him, 
Well, what do you think? Should I keep on coaching? And he always says, Oh, yeah, you're a great coach. We have never lost a game. Relative, I guess. Now, I want you to know, nobody keeps score. (laughs) Yeah, the parents do, the kids do, the coaches do. Anyway, so every time he says that, so this, about a year ago in the spring, I asked him the same question. He was in the back seat. We were driving to uh, the closing party of the team. Hey, Kellen, what do you think? Should I keep on coaching? Silence. After a few seconds, I heard, well, pop up. How old are you? Now, there's meaning to this illustration, okay? So, to be continued. So, we're back to the men. They're, they have no choice. They've lifted their, uh, their paralyzed man to the top, and they've dug a hole. And they've lowered him down right in front of Jesus. Don't you wish that you were one of the people in that house at that point? Because if you looked up, there's this big hole, and there's four faces in the hole looking. And you, you know there's some sense of probably desperation. They had no other option. And then you, you look down, and there's this paralyzed man on the ground at the feet of Jesus. And you look at him, and there was probably also a sense of apprehension, what's Jesus, who's this Jesus? What's he going to do? What's he going to say? There's the leaders behind. What are they thinking? And you're thinking about that. They were stuffed as it is. You bring in another person in kind of a bed format, and now all of a sudden they were really squished. And there was probably some dirt on them. Because you look at the structure of roofs in those days, it, it starts with a three foot beam, and then it Those beams have branches and then the branches hold the clay and the clay holds the dirt and the dirt holds the grass or whatever's on the top. So most likely to get through there, there was some sweat. It was not overwhelmingly hard. But probably some of these men had some dirt on them as they were around and being stuffed together. Then you look at Jesus. You know, I make the assumption probably someplace along his teaching he had to stop because a hole was being made there. would have been rather distracting. And so at some point Jesus stops talking and everybody just watches the hole. And then all of a sudden this man comes down and lays down right in front of Jesus. I can only imagine the look on Jesus' face of, of, of a smile. Now that's the end of the second scene. The third scene is an interesting one and it starts in verse 5. And I need to do a little bit of preliminary with that. Um, Join me next year if they ask me to teach a New Testament, please. This is where this comes from. Understanding Mark and what he's writing. Mark is writing to Jews and Mark is writing to them and wanting them to understand why Jesus was crucified. It's a huge issue for him. Why was he crucified? That's why he doesn't have anything about the baby, because he wasn't crucified for being a baby. He was crucified because of the conflict that's occurring between Jesus and the religious leaders. 
So when you take Mark, you break it apart into two sections. Uh, Chapter 1 through 8, about verse 29, is the building of the conflict that's occurring between Jesus and the leaders, the religious leaders of that day. And then in verse 31, well, wait a minute, let's stop. Verse 29 is Jesus asks his disciples, what do people say about me? Who do they say I am? And then who do you think say that I am? And we know that Peter says you are the Christ. Ending of the first section. The second section of Mark begins in uh, verse 31. And from that point on, Jesus is talking about his death. They're at the very top of Israel. And the rest of the chapters are Jesus and his disciples walking down to Jerusalem where he's crucified. The first section is where we're at. And it's right here in this verse, verse 5 and 6 and 7, where basically the conflict begins between Jesus and the leaders. I can almost, I can almost see Jesus saying, the honeymoon period is over. Let's go on with the process because it's beginning now. And so the words that he says to them, he knows what they're saying. But this is where the conflict starts and never ends until his his crucifixion. Now look in verse 5 because it, it tells us a lot about Jesus. First thing he says is he looks at their faith. The there is those four men and that one man. It's five. He sees their faith. And he says, son. Stop there a second. When you hear the word son, doesn't that suggest the idea of tenderness, of warmth, of a relationship? I think that's exactly what our Lord was saying. And then he starts the conflict. Your sins are forgiven. So the four men had brought this one man to Jesus, hoping for some physical help in terms of his body. But Jesus saw so much more than just that. This man needed his full heart and soul forgiven. And so when he says that, your sins are forgiven, he's basically saying, Mr. Outcast, you are now now part of the fellowship of believers. You don't ever have to see yourself as an outcast anymore. You're one of the believers. You're with me. Now the interaction goes on with the, uh, how can he he call him, say this, that's blasphemy, etc., etc. But the reality is the next scene in terms of what's happening here. It's in uh, the four scenes, verse 11 and 12. And that's where there's some celebration going on. But I, I like Forrest how you pronounced, especially in verse 12, there are four strong words that basically say, get up, imperative number one, two, pick up your mat, and three, go home. Imperative, commands. Now picture this. We don't know how long this guy had been paralyzed, but maybe for his lifetime, this man gets up. Can you imagine the silence in the crowd? Everybody just watching what's going on. I imagine the the man 
gets up, maybe wiggles a little bit, maybe Jesus has to help steady him. Perhaps he's never stood on his feet, or at least for a while. And then he bends over and picks up the mat that he's been living on for who knows how long. And then in the middle of this silent crowd, he walks through the crowd as they give him room, and he goes out the door. Can you imagine the four men on top of the the roof here, jumping down, forget the steps, just jump down, running up to their friend and talk about a Super Bowl touchdown. They were probably just jumping and screaming and praising the Lord. That's why amazing is meant here to mean they were out of their mind in excitement and praise and and joy for what the Lord had just done. We've never seen anything like this before. Now, now there's some, there's some major applications that apply here that make so much sense to me. But we have to understand, what did they just do, those four men? What did they just do in the presence of Jesus? They did the very thing that God has wants since day one, and that's a relationship with people. They brought this man to Jesus for that relationship. I, over the course of the last week, I pulled out, oh, it's a neighbor, about 50 different scriptures that you're, you're welcome to have a copy of, in which it identifies the relationship that our Father wants to have with us. Starts with, of course, the, the, the nation of Israel, the Hebrews. Exodus 29:45, I will dwell among the people of Israel and be their God. Jeremiah, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God. 2 Corinthians 6, 16, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God and they will be my people. 50 plus verses that just talk about the kind of relationship that the Lord wants to have with you and me. Started then, continues today. They brought that man to Jesus for this kind of relationship. And when you have that kind of relationship, that has implications for you and me in terms of our relationship with one another. Three things that I thought about, thought about, there's so much in these verses that I think makes some sense here. Number one, there are times in people's lives, your life, my life, where there's nothing better that we can do then go to the presence of the Lord and lay down in our mat in front of Him and just bring to Him whatever is on our mind. He never promised us a rose garden. We're all going to have issues and and difficulties. I have the privilege of being up here. I can share with you one one of the things that I remember most. And I have to say, I'm older than I look. This happened over 40 years ago, and when I was thinking of this, my stomach got a little hard. Oh, brother. So I was in my second year of graduate school in seminary um, to, to be some form of a, a religious, in, in the religious community, youth pastor, something, pastor. And in the second year, you, you make an appointment with the counselor of, uh, of the school. 
and you sit down and you talk with him, Dr. Vianger, about stuff that's going on. And I set up that appointment and I sat down at that appointed time. Small talk occurred. And then he pulled out a chart. I'll do it with my hands. He basically said, when it comes to IQs, there's this IQ. Okay? The, the men and women who are here at this school have an IQ that's someplace over here. Your IQ is here. You probably shouldn't be here. And then he got up and said, I have a meeting to go to, and ushered me out. Yeah! And it took me a long time to feel again and realize, okay, he was probably right. I really had to study hard. You know, newly married, some self-esteem issues. I had some uh, learning disabilities that we didn't know about until later on. Yeah, but I was here, yeah, probably, and they were there. There's no question about that. But that was one of those situations for me whereby I just simply needed to place myself before the Lord, the Lord's arms and let him touch me and feel me and tell me and walk with me. Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, I was in L.A. at a seminar for my business that I'm in. Uh, I have a coach. A couple hundred of us go there. I'm so thankful I live here in Boise, Idaho. <laughs> anyway, at the end of this session, he... This coach always gives out things that if you raise your hand, you, you get it. And he gave, he mentioned this, and I raised my hand. It, it sort of fits what I'm saying here. It's not complete. It basically says, don't give up. Moses was once a basket case. <laughs> so it doesn't tell the full story. But there are times that you and I feel like we're probably basket cases. Those are the times that we can we just simply bring ourselves before the Lord and be in His presence and under, to understand what's going on. Application number two. There are times that we bring our, uh, that, that we put ourselves on the mat and ask our friends, our brothers and sisters in Christ to bring us before the Lord. This happens especially in this church in a variety of different ways in the growth groups that meet. When we're asking, we go around, and when we're asking for prayer requests, basically we're saying, bring me to Jesus. Bring me to my Lord to help me understand Him more completely. To help me understand what's going on in my life and what He would like for, things to, for me to do, for things to happen. The ladies, when you meet, I know you meet in and the prayer requests. You know, there's a, there's a group, I'm sure you know, that meets on a Saturday evening here, 15 to 20 folks, and what they do is pray. And there's been a couple times that I've written down a prayer request and given it to them. I'm asking them, pick up my mat, I'm laying on it, bring me to the presence of the Lord. And then thirdly, there are times in which we pick up the mat for our brothers and sisters and bring them into the presence of the Lord. Uh, I, I was given okay to talk about this. There, there's one man that I've just recently met from uh, Thursday morning men's group. He sits over there with a group of sinners and his name is J.D. What I learned about J.D. 
is uh, in October, he just got out of jail. He's 69 years old. He's been in jail 46, 47 years of that of his life. He started, it started in ninth grade. He found the Lord by just beginning to study what in the world do I do with this life of mine and, and found the Lord in, in 1998. And I asked him, how do I pray for you? Tell me how to pray for you. I'm asking him for me to be able to carry his mat with him on it to the Lord. And he said, help me understand where I go from here. He just walked into this church on a Sunday morning and decided to come on Thursday morning to the men's group. Help me understand what I need to be doing. Now, he's a big guy, so I need a bunch of you helping me to pray for this man. Can you imagine? And, and that's what the Lord is calling us to do. Another example that I've been given the okay about in, in my business, there's, there's one man that I met with uh, a couple weeks ago. He's much older than 69. His wife of 66 years has Alzheimer's. And I asked him, I have no idea what that's like. He's not a, he's not a believer. I don't, I don't think so. I have no idea what that's like. What, help me understand what you're experiencing. And... He started to cry and I started to cry because I've, I've known them for quite a while and worked with them, you know. And I said, can I pray for you? And he said, well, I, don't, I don't think it'll hurt. And what I'm doing with him is I'm asking the Lord to, because I'm bringing him before the Lord and asking the Lord to touch him so that the Lord will sense and, and, and touch him so he can sense the Lord's presence in his life and help him through this period of time. That's what I mean by this third illustration of there are times that you and I carry people to the Lord. So my question in the very beginning, what was really happening here? What's happening in this, in this uh, story, in, this, in the scripture here? Here's what's going on. The Lord was beginning to move in this town. The Lord was working in this town. The Lord was beginning the process of making himself available and to these people. And the work was beginning. I'm an elder. I, I fought it for five years and uh, just felt, okay, I've, I'm the youngest of the elders that, wary, that wears a Medicare card. <laughs> and here's what I am sensing over the last two years. The Lord is moving in this congregation. Ministries are taking place. People are coming to the Lord. J.D. walked in here. The Lord brought him in here. It wasn't that a pastor or an elder started the prayer meeting on Saturday evening. It just started with people beginning to pray. The Lord's moving. The finances are in order here. The Lord is moving in this ministry in this church. So, here's what that means. Get your blankets out and keep them warm because the Lord's going to be allowing us to take those blankets and bring people to His presence and teach us about how we can love one another and love the people that He brings to our church. Pray with me.
Well, Lord, uh, what a special opportunity that we have, that you're moving in this congregation. Thank you for doing that. Thank you for loving us and caring deeply for us. In your name we pray. Amen.